following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, brothers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Come on, brothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord, show me the way. Oh, fathers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, fathers, let's go down, down in the river to As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, mothers, let's go down. Come on down, don't you want to go down? Come on, mothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sinners, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sinners, let's go down, down in the river to I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me the way. does it mean to wait upon the Lord? And why is it necessary for us to wait upon the Lord? What happens when we do wait upon the Lord. In the book of Mark, the portion we have come to today, let me begin reading. It's found in Mark, the third chapter. Mark, the third chapter. I'm going to begin reading for you at verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He's out of his mind. And the teachers of the law, who came down from Jerusalem, said, He's possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons he's driving out demons. So Jesus called them, and he spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. I tell you the truth. All the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. 
He said this because they were saying, He has an evil spirit. So Jesus outlines for us a vital principle that we need to understand. And that is that a house divided against itself cannot stand. Now, let's make it even more personal. He said, the devil, if divided against himself, cannot stand. Now, surely, a person who is divided against himself cannot stand. The scriptures refers to this condition as double-mindedness. We read this in James, the first chapter, verse 6. But when he acts, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. So, James the pastor of the New Testament church, in agreement with Jesus in the book of Mark, is saying that a house divided cannot stand. A person who is divided in their mind cannot stand. A person who is simply reaching out for that opportunity, whatever it is, but he doesn't really think it's going to work, He cannot stand. A person divided against himself, a husband divided against his wife, a wife divided against her husband, creates a great danger of collapse. Now, I opened the broadcast with this question. What does it mean? to wait upon the Lord, to wait upon the Lord. Let me read the passage that includes this and will focus our attention today on this passage. Isaiah 40, I'll begin with verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow weary or tired, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Now, this word that is translated in the NIV, hope, the original word is not hope. It's to collect, to bring together, to even twist together as the strands of a rope. It is to wait with hope and expectation. And so he says, those who hope in the Lord, or those who wait upon the Lord, will renew their strength. They will renew their strength. Now it's very plain that we all grow tired and we all grow weary and we lack understanding about our situation. But it says that 
He, the Lord God of heaven, gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak, that even youths grow tired and weary, and the young men stumble and fall when they become utterly exhausted. But those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. What does it mean to wait upon the Lord? Well, there are several things that are immediately plain. If you want to take the metro to downtown D.C., and from where I am, Springfield is the closest metro station, I would not sit at home and wait on the metro train to arrive. What would I do? I would drive to Springfield. I'd park my car. I would go up with a ticket, and I would wait on the platform for the train to arrive. If you want to take the bus somewhere, do you sit at home and wait for the bus to arrive? No, if you do that, you'll miss your bus. No, you have to go to the bus stop. Do you hear what I'm saying? If you're going to wait on the Lord, you cannot continue your daily activities and expect to meet with God. To wait upon the Lord is to go where the Lord is to a place of meeting at the appointed time. You don't go to the bus stop at five in the morning when the bus you want does not arrive until six or seven in the morning. You go at the appointed time. And so if you're going to wait upon the Lord, you are immediately knowing that you must make an appointment with the Lord and you must go at the appointed time and you must wait on the Lord. Now, how do you wait on the Lord? By stopping your pursuit of all of your interests and all of your activities and you wait in that place in the scriptures and in meditation, in fasting, in prayer. In other words, you go and meet with the Lord. And I want to put emphasis, if you're going to wait on the Lord, the primary place of waiting is at that appointed time where you have set apart the time. It may be a day, it may be a week, it may be a year where you have absolutely made the decision, you will wait upon the Lord. You will wait for him to answer and to do what he has promised he will do. Now you take the story of Joseph. Joseph was given dreams of what would happen in his life, what the Lord was planning to do in his life, how he would be used. Joseph saw the dream of all the sheaves bowing down to him, grain sheaves. Now, what did Joseph do? He immediately shared with his brothers and with his father his dreams. Wrong. He did not wait upon the Lord. And his visions almost caused him to be killed. So finally, God had to ship him out before they killed him and sent him to Egypt where the plan was to take place. But God never planned on Joseph spending his time as a slave or his time in prison. That happened because Joseph was not wise enough to remain silent regarding the vision or dream that God had laid out for him. Now, what was God's 
plan to bring Joseph into that place of authority in Egypt. I don't have any idea. But I know that Joseph, sharing the dream, almost caused himself to be murdered by his brothers and later by Potiphar. So he found himself imprisoned. But finally, God brought him out to the place he had planned. Now you think of Abraham. Abraham's wife, Sarai, said, God has not given me a child. And so she said, why don't you take Hagar and take her as your wife? And through her, we'll have a baby. And then we can have the child of promise. Oh, what sorrow has come out of that decision. Abraham had waited as long as he wanted to wait. And now he came with a human solution. And the human solution has caused incredible pain to his offspring for years, even to this day. There are other examples in the scriptures where one was not willing to wait upon God wait upon God so let's bring it very close and personal I'm in a situation where nothing is working I'm being ground to pieces I'm dying I'm exhausted life is painful and hard and the Lord says wait upon me meaning will you make a decision that your life is forever in the hands of almighty God that you withhold nothing from him and that you recognize that everything that now will come into your life will be used by the Lord to accomplish his purpose and bring about what he wants for you in your life. Will you abandon your life to the hands of God and say, I will belong to you and I will wait upon you. Now, when we wait upon the Lord in that attitude of recognizing that everything works according to his will. All things work together for the good, for those who love him. So when I recognize that, and I now set my heart to wait upon the Lord, I spend that time, every available minute, in meditation, in prayer, in the reading of the word I spend every available moment not doing my own will not going my own way not spending my time in frivolous pursuits but I'm utterly given to the task now of humbly and quietly waiting before the Lord what begins to happen What begins to happen is in this place of waiting for a new vision, for waiting for the outworking of what God has promised, he begins to do a deep inner work in our soul. He often will bring us to a place of utter frustration, hopelessness, an end to all possibilities. He will bring us to that place so that we will finally recognize that we cannot rescue ourselves, that we are at the very end of our rope. He brings us to that place 
because there is a work in our soul that he wants to accomplish. There are attitudes he wants to change. There's anger he wants to remove. There are insights into our character that he wants to give to us. There is an understanding of who I am in myself. I begin to understand and look through different eyes. Remember in the book of Ephesians, Paul prays that their eyes could be opened, that they could see and understand. And and part of what happens as we wait before God is that our eyes become more and more clear and we begin to see the deep issues of our heart. We begin to understand why the sorrow has rested so heavily upon us. We begin to understand why we've not been successful yet, why we have always felt blocked and stopped. And suddenly we begin to see the places where we have been utterly consumed with our own demands on God, where we have been angry with Him, where we have had accusations against the living God of heaven. As we begin to see these things, great sorrow will enter into our hearts. In this time of waiting, we begin to understand how we have hurt others who were precious to us. It's a very humbling time. It's a time when when comprehension begins to dawn in our mind and our conscious our conscience begins to dawn how selfish we've been the lack of love we've shared the bitterness of our heart and as we wait upon god and these things begin to be exposed By the blood of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and he begins to straighten those crooked paths out. He begins to direct our steps. For many of us, this is not a quick process. If you remember Moses, Moses had just graduated from the best schools of Egypt He had studied military strategy. He was a very competent, well-spoken, young, royal member of the family. But he was called to go look at his people. And he made the decision that he would rather be with his people than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a time. Unfortunately, as he went out to that place, knowing that God intended to use him to deliver his people, he stretched out his hand. Stephen talks about this in his wonderful testimony before the Sanhedrin. And he said, Moses recognized that the people would not accept him after he killed an Egyptian who was beating one of his brothers, one of his fellow men. And the next day, he sees two Israelites fighting, and he rebukes them, and then discovers that the word is out that he has killed an Egyptian, and he flees for his life. And for the next 40 years, he walks in the wilderness with his sheep, He doesn't even own the sheep. He has a wife. He belongs to the family of a pagan high priest. But he has no future. And after 40 years, the Lord can call him the humblest man on the earth. How? Well, as he waited before God in those incredible times of solitude by himself with the sheep 
the Holy Spirit began to work in him and transform him and change him and humble him. Now look, there is no escaping this time required to wait before the Lord as the Lord does his inner work in our being, as he breaks the pride, as he cleanses from the sin, as he sanctifies wholly. Now, can it be done quickly? Yes, in some people it was done very quickly. With Daniel, it didn't take time at all. He immediately said, I'm not going to eat from the king's delicacies. I don't want the king's food. I want plain food. Very quickly, Daniel was able to establish, and he knew when he got in trouble, there was only one place to go, and that was on his face before God. And when the decree went out to kill all the wise men, where did Daniel go? He went to his brothers, and he said, let's fast and pray that God will show me what this dream was of Nebuchadnezzar's. And God revealed it to him. So please hear my heart. I'm not saying that every man is going to spend 40 years in the wilderness. But I am saying that for most of us, we will need significant amounts of time to wait before the Lord. There is this inner work of restoration that must go on, the healing of the broken places of our heart the insights necessary to understand and hear the Holy Spirit speak to us. But now in the midst of this, in the midst of us being in that place of waiting upon God, dead end, we don't know where to go from here. And frankly, as a pastor, this is very much where I'm at right now. I have been waiting on the Lord. He commanded me, wait upon the Lord. And so as I have waited upon the Lord, I am looking for my new marching orders. I am expectant and hopeful. I have been collected together and bound together in the Spirit with Jesus and I am waiting upon him for the new orders that he will issue. There's a passage in Psalm 46. I want to read you just a couple of the verses out of Psalm 46. Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Oh, he's talking about all of the drama that can begin to go on around your life. Then verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So in the midst of this waiting upon God, it's essential that we learn how to be quiet, to be still. When we're waiting on God, it's God's turn to talk to us. It's God's turn to as we turn away from the worldly activities, we turn away from just our busy, busy worldliness, and we wait upon the Lord for new marching orders. As we wait upon the Lord for those orders, He will carry us. He will speak to us. But if we are double-minded, as they were accusing Jesus of being double-minded, of having Beelzebub, Jesus rebukes them and points out how utterly foolish it is 
for a man or a woman to be double-minded, and Pastor James confirms that and says a double-minded man shall receive nothing from the Lord. As we're still before the Lord, as we pray, as we fast, and as we meditate, That is, as we bring the scripture into our heart and chew on it and seek the Holy Spirit to understand how this applies to my life. As I do that, the devil is going to come with ferocious attacks against me. He's going to bring financial crisis. He's going to bring physical crisis. He's going to cause people to rebuke me. He's going to cause people to turn away from me. He's going to cause people to flee from me. And I am going to be more and more left alone. The devil wants me to be double-minded. Okay, God, I'm going to wait on you, but I'm going to cover my own deal. I'm going to wait on you, Lord, but... Look, a man's got to do what a man's got to do. So as the attacks of Satan come, I must move more and more deeply into Jesus. I must put my faith, my trust, my confidence so that I have no confidence in the flesh I have no confidence in myself. I'm not going to begin conniving and trying to figure out how to rescue myself. I am going to wait upon the Lord. I'm going to spend every possible moment reading the scriptures, praying, seeking his face. For the devil will always have a seductive plan that if I follow, I can I can get out of this mess. I can be established once more. I can I can be respected once more. No. I know that as I wait upon the Lord. He is going to baptize me in Pentecost power to accomplish the work that he has designed for me to accomplish. And I'm waiting upon him right now. This is not some stuffed animal. This is the real deal. I am waiting upon the Lord for clear direction I am waiting upon the Lord for clear direction, new marching orders. That's what I'm waiting for. Now, I know from talking with some of you that you are in the same place I'm at. You have become exhausted, tired, You recognize your situation is hopeless. You have been rejected by family or friends or both. People think you're crazy, a fanatic. People look at you and say, come on, lighten up. Oh, they've said all of that to me and much more. I will not back away from this. I will wait upon the Lord and he will not disappoint me. Many years ago, he said to me, if you want my power, read my word. And so now I have consistently buried myself in the scriptures I continue to this day to do that. I wait upon the Lord. I have no strength outside of him. I have no hope outside of him. 
Listen to what this scripture says. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. There is in waiting upon the Lord a flow of energy and strength that begins to come into our minds and our bodies. I know that I will never be able to do the work that God has assigned me to do many years ago, and I'm waiting now for the fulfillment of that. I know with the energy level I now have, I could never accomplish that work. And so part of my prayer out of this passage of Scripture is that my strength will be renewed. That's the promise. So as we begin to receive new orders, new direction, new understandings, as we are sanctified more and more until total sanctification is granted unto us, some of you listening to this broadcast have been crying out to God to be entirely sanctified. That is, the old nature even removed and baptized in the fullness of the Spirit. That's not a part-time occupation. That is a constant being before the Lord in my prayer closet as I'm preparing meals for my family as I'm going to the job I've been assigned. Wherever I go, in my heart, I am waiting before God. My heart becomes a sanctuary for Jesus Christ. And I pray now without ceasing. And I wait upon Him. And as I do that, my strength is renewed. Now, there are cycles that we must understand. As we wait upon the Lord, and He begins to outline for us what He wants us to do. Now, please, let me just stop a moment and say this to you. There have been a number of very crucial times in my life I was pastoring my first congregations, three churches in western Pennsylvania. And the Lord said to me, come and wait before me. And so I went out to, it was summertime, I went out to a golf course that was just a stone's throw from my house. And there was a hill overlooking the golf course. I went up on that place and I sat before the Lord and I waited on him. I wasn't mature enough at that point to understand what he was doing in my heart. But I waited on him. Now, many years before that, the Lord had told me that I would be in Washington, D.C., that that would be my place of ministry. So part of what I began to do on that hillside was pray, Lord, you said that you wanted me in Washington, D.C., but I'm in western Pennsylvania, and there's no possibility of going to Washington, D.C. to do the ministry you've called me to. So, Lord, I'm going to wait upon you. I went home one afternoon from having sat most of the day waiting before the Lord. The phone rang, and it was a phone call from Washington, D.C., inviting me to be an associate pastor of a mega church in Washington. And there to take over the leadership of a coffee house called The Gate on in Georgetown on M Street, and a free medical clinic. That would be my ministry downtown with university-age young people. God did that. I could tell you time after time where God has stepped in and given me new orders. Usually the waiting time has been a month or two months. 
But this time, the waiting time has been several years. Am I discouraged? No, not at all. I've walked with the Lord long enough that I know what he's doing in my heart. And now he's getting down to the very bottom of my heart and he's removing all bitterness, all anger, all judgments, all accusations. He's humbling me before him and before fellow men. And I'm waiting for my new direction. Is that going to be FM radio? I believe it's going to be revival in Washington, D.C. But I don't know how that's going to all happen. I've invited some of you because there's a number of signs and people saying, the Lord is saying, move forward to FM radio. But I don't have the ability to do that. And so I'm kind of testing the water with that a little bit to say, Is the Lord moving in your heart to give large sums of money to make that possible? If not, it's okay. I'm not not emotionalizing that issue. I'm simply waiting before God. And if God wants FM radio now, he will open the door for both the time and the money to move forward with that. Now, some of you have contributed, and I have a kitty where I'm just collecting the monies and saving them for FM radio. I don't know when God's going to move on this. I'm waiting on God for the new direction. Now, when that new direction comes, and believe me, that new direction will finally come, I'm going to then enter a cycle, three cycles. The scripture outlines this in Isaiah, the 40th chapter, verse 31. As the new direction comes, it says, they will soar on wings like eagles. In other words, I will be given a great opening of understanding and vision of what God wants to accomplish And I and others will be very excited as we see what God is about ready to do. And it won't just be his speaking to me. He'll be speaking to others the same time about the same thing. And we will soar on wings like eagles. And we will rejoice in the new direction that Jesus has brought. I had a dream a number of years ago. I was in a sailboat. I love blue water sailing. I was in a sailboat, a large sailboat, a yacht, and I was sailing down a very small stream, and there were lots of rocks, and I was bumping along. I was afraid the boat would be destroyed. That's kind of where I am right now. I'm bumping along. Some of you may wonder, Pastor, why would you even talk like this? Because I want you to see what happens in the spirit realm with everyone. There is that waiting before God. And then in the dream, it suddenly the boat burst through into blue water, into ocean. The sails were set. We were flying over the water. Well, I know the day is coming soon when the Lord will outline that new direction and we will be flying and many will be excited. Now, that's the first cycle. It's usually a short cycle. Then there's a second cycle cycle and that is we come down and now we're not soaring in the air we're down on the ground and we're running we're busy getting everything set up we're busy doing everything god has told us to do we're just working 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 doing this doing that collecting 
We're doing exactly what God has told us to do, and we're running. And and we don't grow weary. We don't grow weary because we know what God's direction is, and we're involved in that direction. This is a little longer cycle. It takes longer to get everything set, everything arranged, to begin to do what God is calling for. This is the time when when the resources are collected and when the buildings are found and when the staff is put in place. This is the time when we run. Everything is happening fast. And then there's a third cycle. And in that third cycle, we stop running. We're not soaring anymore. We're not flying. We're not running. We're walking. Steady. Consistent. We don't faint. We go day by day by day doing exactly what God has called for. It is well planned. It is well executed. And we go step by step by step as the Lord opens the way before us we do not grow faint so verse 27 of Isaiah 40 why do you say O Jacob and complain O Israel my way is hidden from the Lord my cause is disregarded by my God Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and the young men stumble and fall. But those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. That renewal of strength comes out of the meditation, the prayer, the reading of Scripture, the fasting. This comes as we are utterly given over to allow the Lord to accomplish his purpose in our hearts, to prepare us for the work he has for us to do. There was a time when all I knew how to do was charge. That time has passed in my life. I now see the futility of it. I now know what counts the most with the Lord is not what I do, but what I let him do in me. As I let him heal the brokenness, restore what the enemy has stolen, heal my heart. It's a time of waiting upon the Lord, of putting all of my trust in him and finally he comes with very clear directions the amount of time necessary will depend on two things it will depend first upon how responsive you are to the Lord's discipline in your life And secondly, it will depend on how long it takes God to bring together all of the necessary elements to bring forward what he desires to accomplish in the work of the gospel or in the work that he's assigned you. And by the way, all of you are assigned the gospel work. You may go at it in very different ways, but all of us who are Christians have been called to the gospel commission to win the lost, to care for the poor. So first, it will depend 
on how long it takes God to accomplish his purpose in your heart. To get you through being angry with him, to get you through your accusations, to get you through the pride of your heart, to cause you to repent. And then it will depend on how long it takes him to bring all of the other necessary players together to accomplish what he wants to do. I want to tell you today, the Lord God is our refuge and our strength. He is our help. And as it says in the book of Mark, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. The strong man of Washington, D.C. cannot be tied up. The devil cannot be blocked without men and women who know how to wait upon the Lord, who know how to be collected to Jesus. In the Hebrew word, it's to twist together as twine is twisted together. God is waiting for a people, a person, people who are willing to be twisted together in accord with the mighty presence and power of Jesus Christ. And as we're willing to allow him to accomplish that blending together, that collecting and twisting together as one, a cord of three is not easily broken. As he brings us together into that, he then will begin to outline the strategy to break the power of the devil in the city. Now, we're almost out of time today for this broadcast. I'd love to hear if this message has been helpful to you. I pray it has been. I want to pray with you. Lord, I pray that you will cause every person who's heard this message to determine in their heart that they will wait before you, Lord. And they will allow you to do the work in their hearts necessary for you to be able to use them for the work of the gospel. And that you will come with mighty power at the appropriate time and outline the work of the gospel to move forward in Washington, D.C. with a mighty revival. Lord, thank you. I pray bless each who's listened. Open their eyes and give them understanding of these deep truths that I've spoken today. In the name of Jesus, amen. I'd love to hear from you. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. The National Prayer Chapel right now is a house church as we wait before the Lord for all of this to be accomplished that I've spoken of today, for the coming baptism of the Holy Spirit in great power. If you'd like to be a part of that, you're welcome to call me, 703-489-1785. God bless you today. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.